Pit stops have been a part of motor racing since the very early days. What's important is to know that you can bring the car in and you can service it reliably every single time and we've been able to do two second pit stops. In any one pit stop we generally have 18 people who are touching the car. The great thing about a Formula One pit stop is it's about getting these 18, 20 people to have a good day every day and all at the same time. We spent an awful lot of time putting people into roles where we thought that their body fit was comfortable, but also they were comfortable. The first thing that happens when the car comes into the pit box is for the front jack and the rear jacks to lift the car up. Pretty much the second the car's in the air, the wheels are coming off. And then the magic really is in how these guys take the wheel off, put the wheel on without banging into each other and we spend a lot of time looking at the choreography of a pit stop. We really work as a team. Every single person makes a massive contribution. Is that, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that is just, that's amazing. That's all there is to it. A perfect, perfect choreography, exact timing, it's, it's like a beautiful dance, but if you don't do it right, you die. It's, it's amazing. We made that video earlier this week, and so I was thinking when I filled up my car, I thought, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to time myself and see what I can do. In, in, in 47 seconds, I was able to finally find that button down there to pop the door open. <clears throat> I had to add three extra seconds because I popped the trunk, too, and I had to close the trunk because it's right next to that button. Here's what they do. They, re they replace four tires, fuel the car, adjust the front and the rear wing in 1.9 seconds. 1.9 seconds. What you practice, you get good at. What you practice, you get good at. And these men, they practice this. Here's 18 people are going to touch, 18 to 20 people will touch this car in less than two seconds. And here's why they're able to do that, because they know their job. The pit boss told them their role. They do their role. They practice their role. It's the second thing. And then the third thing is, that here's how they keep score. It's a team win. It's always about the team. It's the team win. They know their role. The pit boss told them that. They practice that role, and they, they do it like a team. We're going to see how we can apply that to our family life today, our marriage and family life today. We're looking at the book of um, Colossians, and we're coming up with the last two weeks in Colossians now. And we're going to use all the things we've learned about the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the, and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, and then the gospel that we receive from that great and unique Jesus Christ, and we're going to see how it applies now to our two most important and cost-filling parts of our lives, this week, family, and next week, work. Because, because this gospel gives us an entire new identity. We, we are considered, you know, our souls take on a whole new essence in the eyes of God. And that has got to spill out, right? It's got to get out of us and show itself in other places. And so it, it does. And it, it shows itself in love. The culmination of, of all of that greatness of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus that he died for us and was raised so that we could have that with him experience 
is talked about in, in chapter 3, verse 12, just preceding this. It said, so therefore, you are God's chosen people. You are, your identity is you are holy. You are beloved or loved dearly by God. Therefore, clothe yourself. Clothe, clothe, your, clothe yourself in compassion and kindness and humility and greatness and patience to your family. Here it is in another sentence. And over all these virtues, put on love. Put on love. It binds them all together in perfect unity in your family. You take this new identity in Jesus Christ that we're God's holy people or chosen people, holy and beloved by God, and then we, like, it just gushes out everywhere else. And this week we're going to talk about in your family. This, put it this way. This is how we talk around here a lot. If you're, if you're new, just try to follow along. I'm just the pastor, but you're the, yeah, you're the ministers. At Grace, every believer is a minister. I'm just the pastor. You're the minister at home, at home. We're going to take this at home because home is where it matters the most. Home is where the new identity is either going to show itself to be fake or real. I mean, uh, one scholar said, if, if your Christian life doesn't work at home, it, it doesn't work. And that's why when you're choosing leaders of a church, deacons and elders are called, they say, let's go look in the living room. Let's, let's check there first, because that's where it shows up to be real. And listen, God invented marriage. He made marriage, it, and it has a purpose. If, if you look at it's, it's majestic in the Bible. The, the, the climax of the creation story in Genesis chapter 2 is when God presents Eve to Adam. That, that's where it peaks. And the, the first book in the Bible is a, is a wedding ceremony. The last book in the Bible, Revelation, is a marriage ceremony between Jesus and the church. Marriage is invented by God. Let me put it another way. Another way. God is the pit boss. He's the pit boss. He, de he designed it. He defined it. He has set up the roles. We are to do our roles. We are to practice our roles. And we are to count success as a team success. See how that works? We just go to the pit boss. He tells us what our roles are. We practice those roles because what you practice, you get good at. And then we keep score, not by whether we're doing good, but rather the team is doing good. All right? That's how it looks first role in the pit is for women, the role of the wives. Chapter 3, verse 18 says this, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Well, there it is, right? <laughs> Boom. Submit yourselves to the Lord. The word submit there, Paul uses 23 times. It's a very high value in Paul's letters to the churches because it's a very high value to God. Because submission to authority is the definition of your understanding of this, that God has an order, and we need to follow that order. Without order, there's not unity. With order, there's beauty. And so this word submit is used uh, in the context of sometimes you submit because the person earns the honor. Most of the time, you're submitting because of the role that person has. So in the Bible, everybody's in submission. In the New Testament, it talks about submission to the government, submission to the church leadership, submission to parents, that is, children submitting to parents, and then ultimately also submission to your boss. B 
because that's how order breaks out. Those are the roles. Those are how they are defined, not necessarily because they deserve it, but because of the office they hold in the blueprint, if you will, of the way God did it. And that's why it says, as is fitting to the Lord. As is fitting to the Lord is another way of saying, because the boss says so. Just that's the way it's set up. And so, listen, it's, it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's, it's not being harsh. It's realizing that a person's in the position and you're just playing your part under that other position. So what I'd like to do is, is, is try to explain to the women a man's soul and to the men a woman's soul so that you can see how the definition of things can help maybe help you understand how to play your role better. So let me watch this. So the, let me just tell you a couple principles about a, your man. You're married. Be, behind those eyes is a soul. Okay? There's a soul in there. And, and this is how the soul works. This is how a male soul works. Principle number one, a man will not fight to lead his home. There's just the masculine soul, we won't fight. It's, just, it's not worth it. I'm, I shouldn't have to, but I won't fight to earn the right. If my wife won't let me lead, I won't even try. Very few men will enter into anything that they, they know they can't win. And so they just back away and say, right, you got it. A man won't. Here's what's weird. Here's a very strange thing about the masculine. We will fight for our family, but we won't fight for the leadership of our family. And so a, a woman looks at this passage and says, oh, I'm going to have to let you or insist that you lead. It's, here, here's, let me try to show this to you. There's three times where this uh, sort of declaration is stated in the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, here in Colossians chapter 3, and in 1 Peter. All three times when it talks about marriage, it always starts with the wife. Because there's no reason to talk about the man leading if the wife won't let the man lead. In other words, if you want your marriage to be a beautiful dance, let him lead. Well, I'm better at dancing. Too bad. That's not your role. Play your role. It, it just kind of, if you could put your, gals, if you could put yourself in, in a guy's shoe, what are we supposed to do if you're going to want to lead this thing? Are we going to fight you for it? Are we going to argue about this? If, if, a man, if a man wants to lead, but in, in private or in public you show contempt, if in front of the children you're condescending, if, if there's... If there's uh, active or, or, or passive aggression towards us leading, it's, it's not worth it. And that's why in Proverbs it says, you know, a man would better, he would rather live in the corner of his attic than be in the house with a contentious woman. That's what he's talking about here. I'd rather be anywhere else because a, a man won't fight for us for this leadership. It has to be, it has to be given to him or sometimes even insisted upon it. So, um, a man leads because his wife says in a very nice way, you're the man, you should lead. So what, is, what does it look like? Okay, it's, it's, it's easy to look at the word submission and go to, straight to all the abuses of that. It, it is not being a doormat. It is, it, 
it, is, it can be an easy thing to do because the way a man leads is to make pretty much every decision based on how he can serve his wife. And so, um, it's, it's, it's not being... Um, it's not being stepped on and squashed because the leadership is, is to be mutual and, and consensual. And in other words, I, like, I, don't, I, have, I don't think I've made a single decision in my married life that wasn't right, uh, cooperative with Melinda, not one that I can remember that had, you know, consequence or that I didn't regret. So it's, that's, that's the way you're supposed to lead as a team, but one person has a role that the other person plays their part and the other person plays theirs. So, so here's, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like to be in submission. Here's what it looks like to respect your husband. One, it means the way you talk and act in the privacy of your home. A wife is playing her role in the way that she talks or acts in the privacy of their, home, of their own home. And so there is no place for a woman to raise her voice or yell at her husband there's no place for them to be criticizing and calling names. It's very common for this to be taking place in the early years of your marriage. We did it a bunch. And the reason is, is because we think it will work. It does not work. It's, 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 it, it's counterproductive in what it does. Now, here's the scary part. Uh, Jeremiah and I were just reading a, a, a marriage counseling textbook, and it said that by year two, people have learned a pattern of arguing that they will likely keep the rest of their marriage by year two. And you know why? Because what you practice, you get good at. And a woman should not yell at a man or criticize a man or call him names because home is supposed to be a safe place. And ladies, I'll tell you this. There's no faster way to burn your house down around you than to disrespect your husband in front of your children. When children see their father being, you know, put into the ground at home, they are counting backwards to the day they turn 16 because they're going to be making a lot of trips. And then at 18, it's a one-way journey somewhere. It, they, it, they know it's not the way it was meant to be. So, it, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean saying yes to everything. It means, it means saying no with honor and tact, right, it, with grace. Okay? My wife's really good at this because I'm crazy. And uh, here's, here's the latest. One of the things I do, I don't know why, but on, on Sunday nights uh, when I'm restless, I go to Craigslist and look for stupid things to own. And so this, this is a very recent story, believe it or not. But I, I came in, I said, honey... I'm gonna, I think we ought to buy a sailboat. And she, and she said, what? An amazing idea that you would think of like that. Show me. And I've showed her all these. I'm talking about a little sailboat that could fit on the roof of the car and you don't need a trailer or, and all that, you know, and something I can fix up. She goes, well, you know why? You know, that's, a, that's interesting because we don't sail, you know? And... And then, and then she figured out, she kept, you know, well, why don't we wait on that? I bet there's a better one later. But maybe you can tell me about why you want a sailboat now. 
And, and I said, well, I just, you know, I'm getting fidgety with the kids gone, and I, I, I just need something to fix, you know. And this, these things, look, look what you can get for this little. Look at all the fixing up that needs to be done. And then here's it. She's a genius. So eventually she takes me out back, and she says, sailboat, sailboat, sailboat. Look at all the sailboats just in the backyard. All the things that need to be fixed up. And to this day, and this, this, is, this story is like a month old, I swear. And so now she goes, hey, why don't you, you know, I'm just looking around the house and following her around, you know, I'm pesting her, clipping her heels and stuff. She goes, why don't you go out back and work on the sailboat? Yeah, I'll go. So, so she said, she didn't say, she didn't say no. She didn't say what, you're stupid. Not again, not another sailboat story, but it was like, no. Yeah, let's, showing respect, the burden of leadership is on me. I'll answer to God for that. She's letting me lead, and she's showing me respect at home, okay? Second way you show respect is when out in public, how you treat your husband out in public, what you say and, what, and how you look at him in front of other people. Here's the second principle of a, of a, of a male soul. Just believe me on this, that the crown of a man is his wife. Okay. That's what we, we, we think that the, the crown, think of the uh, a king's crown. It's like, that's what we brag about. It shows how big and vast and precious our kingdom is. And when we get together, we like to, we like to brag about how we've married up. And the gap between who we are and who we married is, no, my, my gap's bigger than your gap. No, no, my wife's better and I'm more of a dirtbag. So, and so it, here's, here's kind of an expression or a corollary, a corollary to that is, is that every man wants to be the hero in the eyes of his wife. Every man wants to be the hero in the eyes of his wife. That's, that's only half of it. And second, it's kind of going back to that thing. He wants everyone else to see it. So he, he wants in public other men to see the gaze in your eyes like he's your hero. That's just, that's the nature of a male soul. But when you are in public and you show him disrespect and interrupt him and correct him and challenge him and call him names, ladies, you're grabbing that crown and stomping on it in front of everyone because the rest of the guys are thinking, wow, if she'll do that to him in public, that poor dear soul in private must be really catching it. So you have to understand the male soul that you treat that with modesty, with respect, show signs that you look up to him like he's a hero. This works. It, it works. I mean, it's true. You know, it's in the Bible. But I'm telling you, it works. I'm going to give you, every five years, a woman writes a book where she stumbles into this and makes it sound like she invented oxygen and then wants to tell everybody else about it. So, you know, a few years ago, I saw this on 2020, or one of those Nightline, Dateline shows or something. I saw this interview, and this is this woman, the, the surrendered wife. Here's from the book jacket. Wives of the world, unite. 
behind a white flag. Lay down your arms, curb your tongue, squelch your sarcasm, and give your hubby plenty of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Her story is, after four years of marriage, they went into marriage counseling for several years, flirting with divorce all the time. And then finally, <laughs> the counselor was fed up with them and just and looked at her and just said, let him lead. Just let him lead for a month. You cannot criticize his decisions. Go along with what he says. See what happens. After two weeks, they were living happily ever after, and she writes this book like she invented this. She's written four books since then about how if you – listen, she didn't do it because, like, it was fitting unto the Lord. She did it because it worked. Turns out God's like the pit boss, and he assigned roles. And the guy works the jack, and the gal does the tires. And it doesn't matter if you're better at the jack than he is. Just play the role. And it's a team win. It's a team win if you just listen to the pit boss. Dr. Laura used to be a radio personality. She came up with this book, Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands. Most of the book is about just let him lead. You're probably going to get everything you want that you think you're going to get through nagging. If you let him lead, you'll get it with a smile. This is my favorite one. It just came out a couple of years ago, oh, mostly because of Gabby Reese. You probably not know her because she's a professional volleyball player and a model and an announcer and an actor. I know her because she married uh, Hamilton, she, um, Laird Hamilton, and I, I want to be Laird Hamilton. He's a famous big wade surfer. So... Anyway, here's their book. This is the book jacket from her book, okay? In November 1997, uh, Gabby Reese married the man of her dreams, professional big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and had a flawless uh, uh, Hawaiian ceremony. Naturally, the couple filed for divorce four years later. That's why it's called the glass slipper. It won't fit. She doesn't have the perfect life. And so for 225 pages, this book is, is nothing but practical. Whole section on health, whole section on exercise, whole section on eating right. And then when it comes to marriage, this is what she figured out is the most practical way to live when you have two professional athletes that are strong willed living in the same house. Here's what she said To truly be feminine means to be soft and receptive and look out, here it comes. Those are her words. I didn't just add that. Look out, here it comes, submissive. She believes woman being submissive in a relationship is actually a sign of strength. She didn't figure this out by because it was fitting unto the Lord. She figured it out because it works. It, it works because the nature of a man's soul is this. He won't fight to lead his own house. And he wants to be your hero. That's how you do it. The pit boss has spoken. He has signed out roles. And ladies, yours is to follow. When the team wins, you win. Okay, next sentence. There's like four sentences in this section right here. Just bam, bam, bam. The next one is, guys, here's how to make it super easy for a woman to follow. Verse 19, here's how easy following is with you have a husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husband loves your wives and do not be harsh with them. Clothe yourself in love. Remember that one? 
And that word love there is the word agape. If you know that word, it's the Greek word that means the love that's one way, that's just coming at you. It's not love to get love. It's just love. It's unconditional, unrelenting. Uh, Other passages will say, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Agape love. How much is he willing to pay for his church, his bride? Everything. He'll be tortured and murdered for his wife. That's how much. And what, it, what this means is this agape love is, is this thing that's over, overflowing and overpowering for us. It's the thing that causes us to turn out and not have a selfish motivation, but to look into the soul of that gal and say, what can I do to serve you? Guys, our job as husbands is to be like a stepping stone for our wives to climb on to become great. Our love for them is, is the walkway or the path that they walk on so that they can receive honor and can receive, right, dignity, right? We, we cause them to be noble. That's what Jesus did in his love for us, right? We're like standing on his shoulders and getting his identity and his nobility, right? It's the way Christ loves us. Christ listens to us. Christ gives us what we need. Christ withholds those things that will destroy us. This is the principle for the the female soul, guys. Listen, this is the principle for the female soul because it's interesting that this passage says, right, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Another translation says, do not be bitter towards them. That can happen when we don't love them with this truth about their souls. It's from Lord Byron. Man's love is of a man's life a thing apart to woman's whole existence. Look at it. Let's read it again. Man's love is of man's life a thing apart to woman's whole existence. A man receives love and has love, and it's in his compartment. I hope it in your life, it's the largest compartment in your life. I think it's the thing that, I hope it's the thing that, you know, it's, it's most influencing you. For a woman, it's the reactor <laughs> of her whole soul. And that's why you can see women that have been loved, they thrive. And women that have not, they're cracking in a drought. They become embittered or angry. And that's why he says you, you, can't, you can't love a woman like you can love a man because it's everything to them. Guys, again, if you, if you can step back, we, we ask the gals to, you know, we're, think about us. How can we fight for the leadership? We won't do that. Guys, think about what it's like to be our wife. I mean, all the way back to the, the vows. I mean, they, give, they, give up their, they give up their last name. They walk up the aisle with one name, and they walk down the aisle with another. They give up their, their name. And then maybe if it works out, you, they have your children. And I mean, you're right. For us, 20 hours of labor, then an emergency C-section, and for a lot of ladies, their bodies are never the same. They do not recover from that event. And then some gals will do this multiple times. <laughs> I mean, you know, right? If guys gave birth, we'd have only children. And then, and then we'll have this, then the kids, they raise our children, and children can communicate telepathically. And they know when the mom is being worn down and they jump on those opportunities and they turn on her and try to over... This is an everyday event. There's mutiny in the, in the stirrings. 
There was a season in our lives where I don't think there was a single piece of clothing that Melinda owned that did not have some kind of spit up on it. I, there was a time, this, was a def, this actually was a defining moment in our family. She caught some projectile throw up in her hands and I ran to the master bedroom. I did, I swear, I just ran. And then if, if this is your economic condition, then, then what, what sometimes is typical, you know, I get all dressed up and I, and I go to work and then I come back and I'm oh, look, I, I got a little something <laughs> during my catered lunch today. <laughs> and then I walk in, it's not uncommon. And then we compare them to some woman at work that's all dressed up 10 years younger that has not had a child come out of her, and then we complain and criticize. Friends, no one's gonna wanna submit to that standard. Who would do, you would never do that. If you, if you worked for a, a guy or a gal that asked you to do 40 hours and you did 60, and you gave it all you could, and then your review was not thank you for what you've done, but in absence of that, it's criticism of what you haven't done, you'd quit. If some employee spoke up to you and said, oh, you could be doing more, why aren't you doing more? You missed three or four other things, you'd fire them. And yet we can have the arrogance to like think we deserve better. And that's why he says, love them. <laughs> he says, love them and do not be harsh with them. It's because it's, it's a sacrificial love. It's a tender love. It's an understanding love, right, that understands what they're doing. The, a wife is supposed to say, I am such a better soul because of my husband. That's our goal as husbands, right? We, just like, like we, we say, except for the grace of God, there go I, right? Because of Jesus Christ in my life, look what I've become. And again, the woman's soul, love is her whole existence. And so she's looking to us to fill that void, that hole. And we're going to do it through the power of Christ. So listen, give her quality time. Your full attention, look into her eyes. Serve her in every way that you can, right? Hold her hand. Just hold her hand. Hold her hand. Quit trying to win arguments. If you, if you still think winning an argument is the goal, you've already lost. There's no winning arguments in marriage. There's, you're going back trying to understand each other, but there's no winning arguments. You know, I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for about uh, 15 years, and it, it has absolutely changed my marriage. You should try it. No, I do not do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on Melinda while I'm awake. There, there were three occasions where I was asleep. But here's why it's changed my marriage, okay? Because when you walk into a jiu-jitsu studio, there's usually two, things, two absolute rules that you have to learn early, okay? One, leave your ego at the door, and two, tap early and often. And they're related because if you hold on to your ego and don't tap, your arm's going to be in a sling for about six weeks. Or... You're going to wake up to the sound of your own death gargle while the whole gym surrounds you. And as you come to, you see people laughing at you because you didn't tap in a choke. So I'm told. 
Marriage, guys, is jujitsu. Okay, leave your ego at the door. Tap early and often. Just ask, how have I hurt you? Can you train me to be more sensitive? I don't know how to care. <laughs> Teach me to care. It's a, it's, a, it's a team win. When she wins, it's a team win. When you win, it's a team win. Don't even argue. Here, let me give you three helps that I received when I was younger by older men that were smart, and this helped me a lot, so I'm going to try to pass this down. One, it's pace yourself. Pace yourself. Just envision your, your soul as a leader of life, okay? And every day you get a new leader. And as your day goes down, right, as it goes down and your life is like pulling that life out of you, you need to save like the last third or whatever for the people that matter the most to you, your wife and your child. And so somewhere along the line in your daytime, you're constantly meter, you're measuring things. You're going, uh-oh, I won't have enough for when I get home. And so what I do sometimes, sometimes, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 o'clock, I'm in meetings, and they're important, and I'm going, man, that's really important. But in my soul, I'm going, don't care at all. I'm going to write that down because tomorrow morning I will care. But right now, I'm saving this last third for the people I love the best. Second, leave it on the bridge. This goes back to a story when I used to work in South Austin. And, you know, here's the thing. When you're home, you have to be home. And so this guy taught me, find some kind of, you know, landmark. And when you come home, leave all your stuff at work at that landmark. Okay, so it was the 360 bridge, so I'm driving north on 360, and there's that bridge, 360 bridge, it's like, and I roll my window down, it's like, get out of here, work problems, I don't want you. And then I would drive across that bridge, it was sweet, because on the other side of that bridge, home problems were waiting for me. And they were like, hey, Matt, what's going on? I'll get in the car, let's go. And so I, then I would be preparing for home problems, you see? Because when you're home, you need to be home. Next day, I'm driving back. Home problems get off on the north side. Work problems get back on the, in, in the, on the south side. But when you're home, you got to be home. So you figure out some way to, whenever you're home, be home. And here's the third one that kind of resonates with that. And that is, uh, listen, uh, getting home, first impressions is everything. First impressions are everything. And because there's a soul inside those children, there's a soul inside your wife and so do not pull into the driveway until you're ready for great first impressions. Okay? Just hide around the corner if you have to, you know, whatever. But what, what, what I would try to do, because it's first impression, we made this rule, it took us too many years to figure it out. But when I walked in the door, like everything stopped, my wife and I would hug and we would kiss and hold each other for a little bit, count to three. Then the kids could touch us, and then I'd get on my knees and stare into their eyes and hug. As, and listen, I'm out of gas, okay? Most of the time I'm out of gas, but I'm just doing it because of the power of first impressions. When I figured out that I could wreck an entire evening in the first three and a half minutes of coming home, we had to add this to our family. And then sometimes I'd grab Melinda and say, you give me 30 minutes of sleeping. Just let me nap for 30 minutes. I will come out of that bedroom with a cape on. I will do all the dishes. I will, I will bathe our kids and neighborhood kids. Just give me 30 minutes. She would. And we did that for a long time when they were young. Okay? There's a soul. So do those three things maybe. That's what you need to do. Some of you are thinking, man, this is great stuff, but it's too late for us. We've been, you know, whatever you practice, you get good at, and we've been practicing the bad stuff. 
Yep. Yep. It's, first of all, it's not too late. There's too many things. There's too much power to the gospel and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Could I offer you the opportunity to go to a marriage conference? There's a marriage conference coming up. It's going to be right across the street. It's in June. You get $100 off if you just mention grace. It's right there in your bulletin. My wife and I have been to two or three of those. We loved them. We have a ministry here called Reengage. meets every Monday night. This whole church is built around relationships, friend. This whole church is built around applying the power of the gospel into loving one another. If I didn't go to this church, I would go to this church. <laughs> Let us, what you practice, you get good at. Let us teach you how to be kind, how to have conversations with love, how to identify an emotion if you had one, and then how to communicate it to someone that you love. This is, this, is in, this is strangely insightful. Think about this. Love is not instinctive. Love is not instinctive. You think it is because when you were dating, you were in love, and you were at, friends, that was selfish. You, were going, you wanted something. That's the thrill of the hunt. Marriage is the kill. And, and that's when you realize if love were instinctive, then how come almost every epistle in the Bible said orders us to love? Because we're so selfish that it, we have to have God give us an edict that says, turn out agape love people. It's not instinctive in a bent soul. So we have to, the point is, we have to learn these skills. We have to learn these skills. And I, I'm just inviting you to join the rest of us in trying to get a little bit better through the power of Jesus Christ. Look, we're all but out of time. There's two, there's two sentences about parenting. You know the best thing you can do for parenting your children? is have a great marriage. Well, look what it says. It says there's a soul inside that child. Children, obey your parents in everything, but it pleases the Lord. You know what that's saying? Hey, kids, pit boss has checked in. You got to play a role too. Just do it. Just do it for the pit boss. But what's interesting is verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they become discouraged. There's a soul inside that little body. You need to make sure you don't over-discipline them or under-discipline them. Well, how do you do that? The golden mean in the between. You can find that in some of our Sunday school classes and our parenting. We have, what do we have? Square one for new moms, mothers of preschoolers, children's ministry, a youth ministry, several adult Sunday school classes that teach parenting. If I didn't go to this church, I'd go to this church. Help us help you parent in a godly manner. If, um, this is heavy stuff, I know. It looks like it's just kind of a list of what we're not doing right. But friends, there, there's nothing in these passages that we can't do with a supernatural power of God's Holy Spirit in our life. There's nothing that we looked at today that we cannot do the miraculous power of God's Holy Spirit. This is how to be a lighthouse, by the way. The reason we're structuring a lot of our churches around marriage and, and family and interpersonal relationships because the world is so bad at it. And all we have to do is check in with a pit boss, play our role, practice our role, and keep score by team wins, not individual wins and we'll be a lighthouse to the world. I'm asking you, would you join me in trying to get this right?
Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm grateful for the institution of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, beautiful. And then came chapter 3, and it was ruined by selfishness. And, it's, and marriage just isn't made to be done with selfish participants. And so, God, I pray that you'd have your mercy upon us. And those who have been injured, they've been left or abandoned, that you would love them in a deep way. And those that are feeling helpless and maybe like they have a lost cause, Lord, I'd ask that you would inspire them by the miracle that you can do in lives if they just surrender to you. I pray this continually for our church, that you would fill us with the grace of your knowledge, the knowledge of your will, through all the wisdom and understanding that your spirit gives us so that we could live a life worthy of the Lord and please you in every way in our families, bearing fruit in every good work with our marriage, growing in our knowledge of God in our parenting, being strengthened with all the power according to the might of your holy glory so that we might have endurance and patience with other men and women. We would recognize their souls in there, and we would love those souls fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.